couple of years. Let's talk about it on today's Locked On Utes. You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and thank you for making Locked On Utes your first listen every single day. We are available on all platforms, including YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. My name is JT Wistersill, former intern inside the University of Utah Athletic Department. Coming up a little bit later, we'll talk about where Utah's defense ranks amongst the other defenses in the Pac-12. But first, I want to start with conference realignment talk because that's been all the rage. And in order to do that, we got to bring on our leading expert when it comes to Pac-12. 12 conference realignment talk host of locked on pack 12 spencer mclaughlin and spencer this week especially i've been co- talking about some realignment stuff because there's some noise around colorado going on out there right now what they may do going forward and all these utah fans a lot of them seem to think that utah is going to get left behind in whatever the next phase of college football looks like and they'll be forced to go back to the mountain west which is ridiculous and i covered that earlier but anyways it just seems like everyone's worried about being left behind But what I think I go back to is I don't know why everyone is worried about being left behind when there hasn't been any moves made yet. It's not like Oregon and Washington are in the Big Ten. In fact, if they had an invitation, I think they would already be there. So I expect them to be there for the next few seasons. And the same thing with the Arizona schools. And even on the off chance, I don't think Colorado is going to go. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that more in a second. But even on the off chance they did, I expect the Arizona schools to stay. San Diego State's on the way. Like, I just feel like in the short term, the Pac-12 is in a good position. And it's not like the Big 12 is like running circles around them as it's kind of being perceived. I just... I don't see the advantage to Utah for going to the pack the, to the Big 12 right now. Well, the reason you have that perception about the Big 12 running circles around the Pac-12 is because the Big 12 has a media deal and the Pac-12 doesn't. But mm-hmm. once the Pac-12 is able to actually finalize its deal and get it rolled out, and we're starting to get into crunch time on that, by the way, with that June 30th deadline really for San Diego State and maybe SMU being added looming now, we're less than a month away from that particular day. I, I think that that's you know the urgency of that matter is is ratcheting up but then once that deal gets done which we all expect it to and people reporting within the industry expect it to and the president's expect it to then it's not going to feel that way it's not going to feel like even if the big 12 comes in you know a couple million dollars ahead of the pac-12 it's a negligible amount of money it's not going to be unless you know unless the pac-12 deal is like 20 you know two million dollars per school like okay then 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 we have a sizable gap but if the pac-12 comes in at 28 and the Big 12 is at 31.6. Like that, that's not it's something, but it but it's not radically shifting the ground uh in, in college athletics for those particular leagues. You have to get, I think, into the you know, $10 million range difference between this conference and that conference to really make a, a sizable impact. Because you have to remember money that comes from those media rights deals, it doesn't go to the football program, it yeah. goes to the athletic department. The athletic department has a lot of expenses, they have to cover everybody's travel everybody's scholarships, everybody's coach's salary, not just football. So that's why you have to get, I think, kind of into the eight to $10 million range to where you'd say, you know, a a team getting that amount is able to pony up more money for a coach or an assistant to retain him rather than, you know, uh, get, getting poached from somebody else who can offer more money in in that sense. But it's all moot for us lower three power five conferences, Mm Pac-12, Big 12, ACC, because the Big Ten and the SEC have got so much more than everybody else now, 
it, it's the haves and the have nots. And they're certainly the haves. And, you know, with regards to the, the worry of Utah getting left behind, I can't see that happening with the, wow. the football brand that they've established, the television product that they have become, you know, their upper half of the Pac-12 in terms of uh, a TV rating from a season ago, they were basically tied. They were like a little bit ahead of Washington, but basically the mm-hmm. same as the Huskies, who everyone sees as a valuable commodity there. And Salt Lake City, I think, is a, a growing media market in that yes. sense. Of course, rumors of a major league baseball expansion team. So mm-hmm. no, I, I wouldn't be worried about it one way or the other if you're a Utes fan. And, and I certainly wouldn't be worried about the conference, uh, you know, being on the brink of, of extinction here because Colorado is about to jump ship. Because as we're about to discuss, I don't find that to be particularly likely. Yeah, that let's interesting. start. With, interesting for sure. Yeah, let's start with the Buffs because we could talk about the other teams too. Um, as I mentioned, I just I don't feel like there's an offer for Oregon and Washington to be at the Big Ten because they would they would be there. No. I think it's pretty clear and easy. We know that the two best positions in college football right now are to be the SEC and the Big Ten. So if you could go there, you'd go there. And I don't see that they're going to like just randomly tomorrow open up that membership to them. So I do think it w- that's off in the future if it does come eventually. As we've mentioned before, the Pac-12 schools have said they're united in the past, but the one kind of lingering one now seems to be Colorado. Just after their AD, who I think you made a point uh, recently, Spencer, just talk about how you at least appreciated the honesty in his answer because it is just kind of like, hey, we want to be in the Pac-12, but we also know we have to do what's best for us, which is exactly the right mindset that every athletic director should have. So I, I don't, I still think it is best for Colorado to stay in the Pac-12 right now. As we've talked about before, media rights deal is going to come up. It's going to make things closer. I don't see the advantage of making that lateral move anyways. And just changing conferences, it just usually takes time to, even in a more lateral move like this, it just takes time to get to the top when you're facing all these new opponents, new travel, all those kind of things. Like, I, I just don't see why the Buffs would want to move right now. No, and they don't have to be in any sort of hurry if, you know, they really are considering the Big 12, which by the way, I get a kick out of this stuff in like a major, major way. So Rick George, you know, the first thing he said was, uh, you can only believe about a third of what you hear out there. I've seen several reports, quote unquote, for those listening on podcasts, of Colorado is about to announce that they're going to the Big 12. And then once, the, and those were not true, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then once there was an announcement of a, a Board of Regents meeting, Colorado was was in the news again oh this is they're gonna do it oh yeah here they here they go like these people just get crazy into this sort of stuff mm-hmm. conference alignment was not on the agenda according to james crepe of the oregonian mm-hmm. an actual credible on the ground real yes. reporter who you should try and listen to those sorts of people mm-hmm. not other sorts of people who tell you yeah i'm hearing this is gonna happen yeah. <laughs> from random yeah, weird online sources that don't the, actually exist. The trust the trust. Where's your sources? Trust me, bro. Those are my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust. Yeah, trust me. I'm hearing it. Like, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> trust me. Uh, Florida and Alabama are about to come to the Pac-12. Trust me, man. Yeah, yeah. This is about to happen. But so I, I did think it was an honest comment from Rick George because mm-hmm. he said, "Look, we want to be in the Pac-12. Of course, they should want to. There are a lot of considerations as to why they left the Big 12 for a reason. Yeah, right. You don't leave somewhere." If you have a long-term desire to be there. So the whole idea that Colorado wants to be in the Big 12, absolutely ridiculous on its face. They've never wanted to be in the Big 12. But he is leaving the door cracked open there for a doomsday scenario. I think that's what he's doing. And I think that's a very fair thing to do. I don't think it's, you know, giving credence to to false reports or rumors or speculation or anything to say, yeah, we want to be in the Pac-12 and everything works out well. We're going to be in the Pac-12 and this is where we would like to be. 
But also, you know, we have to figure out what's best for the University of, of Colorado here because you don't know, right? So think about uh, the Boston Celtics the other day. The Celtics were on the cusp of doing something that nobody had ever done before. The Cleveland Cavaliers once upon a time did something that nobody had ever done before. So it's, it's unlikely that those sorts of things happen, right? The Red Sox coming back from down 3-0 uh, against the Yankees way back when in 2004. Okay, some things are they they haven't been seen before, and so it's easy to say, well, that 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 never happens. Some things never happen until they happen, right? There's a first time for everything. <laughs> everything happened for the first time. So I think being prepared in a world that is constantly evolving, that is constantly changing, that is unpredictable, that is wild, crazy, and all this sort of stuff. I think leaving the door just like ever so slightly ajar while not wanting to go out there and bust it open, I think leaving it open and saying, okay, yeah, if 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 the worst were to come to pass, we're going to be prepared for that. You put together, if you live in the Midwest, a, uh, um, a, a shelter plan, right? I lived oh. in Oklahoma for a year and a half, and I had to learn about tornado drills. Yes. I never had to do that before. A tornado never actually ripped through the city or the town where I was living, but we were still prepared for it because of course you should be because it's not completely ridiculous. It was highly unlikely. Yeah. But was it technically possible? Yes. So if something is technically possible where you could see a realistic world in which this happens and you have to be ready for this. You got to be prepared for it. I think that's what he's saying. And I think that's a fair place to be. But the idea, if you see anything that says Colorado is about to jump to the big 12, they're making it very clear. We don't want to go there. We want to be in the Pac-12. We're waiting for the media deal. And they did not talk about conference alignment at their Board of Regents meeting, at least per James Crepe of the Oregonian. I'm going to trust him more than random online internet sources. Yeah, <laughs> a thousand percent agree. A lot of great stuff there from you. And just in general, I mean, I feel like the likelihood of Colorado going somewhere in the next two to three years, of Washington and Oregon going somewhere, I mean, it's easily less than 5%, right? I mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. Because the, I mean, I think Oregon, Washington leaving would be more realistic than, sure. than Colorado. That doesn't mean that it's very realistic because yeah, exactly. it is not right. The reason I say that is because the big 10 could offer Oregon and Washington at any point in time. And they would leave at any mm -hmm. moment, both would leave for kind of different reasons, but I don't think there'd be any hesitation from those schools who reportedly have reached out to the big 10 before and have been turned away because it, it's not something the Big Ten presidents are interested in doing further at this time. But if they ever change their mind, if they ever want more schools to pair with USC and UCLA, yeah, they can do it. They can absolutely do it, whereas Colorado doesn't want to go to another conference. They want to stay in the Pac-12, and that's the biggest differentiating factor there. Absolutely. It was great stuff, as I said. And we're going to come back in a second and talk a little bit more about the Pac-12 conference. But as it relates to the stuff that we love talking about more than conference media stuff, in the on-the-field product, we're going to talk about where Utah's defense will rank amongst Pac-12 defenses this coming season. But first, I want to talk to you guys about our friends at 
FanDuel Sportsbook. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get up a no sweat first bet up to two thousand. $500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win guys, FanDuel is awesome. You get great promotions every day. It's safe, secure app and you get paid on your winnings instantly. And how great have the NBA playoffs been? It's been a crazy run for the Miami heat, the Denver nuggets landing here now to Spencer. I'm going to go with the nuggets in five. What do you kind of, I, I have the same prediction. I you think do. the heat are a little worn. Now it's hard to say that because the heat are the team that continue to prove us wrong over and over and over again. But the Nuggets are playing really good basketball, and the Celtics are just not. Like I, I think the Celtics yeah. were discombobulated. They were a little out of sorts. They might be blowing it up. I mean, right after the game, Jalen Brown isn't sure about his future. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm going, I'm going with the Nuggets there, and I will take them in a competitive five. But I think the Nug, I think it's the Nuggets' time. Doesn't it feel like we're heading for another Jimmy Butler meme, just like where he's leaned over on the side mm-hmm. of something like? Exhausted. Oh yeah, we're like, setting, our, we're setting ourselves up for it. But you know, bet whichever way you like. Yeah, so make sure you guys head over to FanDuel. Once again, there's no better place to bet on all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Spencer, coming back into this one. As we said, Utah, when you're looking at their defense, has been really strong over the past few seasons and trying to rank amongst the other defenses in the Pac-12. Um, before we even dive into that, Adam Brenneman uh, published an ESPN ranking that they had their top 10 defenses going into next season, and they had Utah at number eighth overall. They were the only defense ranked in the top 10, and that would therefore give them the top defense in the Pac-12, according to that ESPN ranking. And I do think that's fair when you're talking about having eight of 11 starters back, numerous other key contributors, the young guys coming in, and obviously exceptional coaching. I do believe this Utah team will have the best defense in the Pac-12. We've got some other good teams to go up against. Mm-hmm. I think the wild card in determining who's going to have the the best defense here in the Pac-12 this season are the Oregon schools or the okay. wild cards, I, I guess, are the Oregon schools for different reasons. Oregon State had either the first or second best defense in the Pac-12 a season ago. They've brought in some players on the defensive line to bolster what was easily their weakest unit. But they have lost players, Jaden Grant and Alex Austin, out of the secondary, which was easily their strongest unit. So that sort of balance, unclear how that's going to play out. But they returned their defensive coordinator, Trent Bray, who's absolutely brilliant, and did a marvelous job with them a season ago, and took them from an offensively driven team the season prior when they went 7-5 and five, and made them into a defensively oriented team, and they went 10-3. and three. So and they were seven and six the year before, but anyway, seven and five in the regular season. So I think that's the question for Oregon State is that's one of the teams you're thinking about. Well, could they have the best defense in the Pac-12? Certainly, that's a major question is how can they handle right? You're at Oregon State. You're not recruiting the blue blood, blue chip prospects in the country, right? So what is the depth of talent there? Do they have guys who can come in and play like Alex Austin, Jaden Grant did a season ago? They also lose Omar Spates to LSU via the transfer portal and, you know, NIL, frankly. So how do they handle and recuperate from those losses remains to be seen. But then they bring in a four-star edge in Kelsey Howard that figures to be a, a solid player on the defensive line, a couple other new pieces there as well. Oregon is a question mark because their defense really struggled in select moments a season ago. They were still a, a top five defense in the Pac-12, which is, you know, not saying a ton when you only have 12 teams, but they were still top half of the conference in yards per game allowed and points per game allowed. Now, both need to improve, 
-hmm. but you wonder about with year two under Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy and yeah. bringing Chris Hampton as well from Tulane, a team that you know won the American and the Cotton Bowl this year as your co-defensive coordinator. You combine a couple of returning experienced coaches on the defensive side of the ball. Lanning's still young, but you know, he's a DC for several years at, at Georgia with Chris Hampton from Tulane and then the new personnel that they've brought in. They lose Christian Gonzalez. They lose Noah Sewell. Yeah. He losses in the defense. But the secondary, you got some questions there, but a lot of new players. But the defensive line is the biggest thing. They were historically bad getting after the passer last year. And they bring, bring in Jordan Birch, former five-star recruit out of high school from South Carolina. And they bring in Mateo Uyangole, who until literally the very end of the recruiting process was a five-star recruit coming out of high school as well. And in the spring game, very much looked the part. So I wonder with those two defenses, whether or not Oregon State takes a step back and yeah. whether Oregon can take a step forward. Because if you're talking about total composite talent on your defense, Oregon's probably tops in the conference, but they would have been near the top of the conference in that department last year as well. And it did not click the way that, that many Oregon fans, myself included, were hoping it would, but you have some key returners. It's year two. You tend to see growth when a team is well coached and you have returning players and they bring in guys who they feel like can fit their scheme. They get Popo Amavai back on the defensive line as well. He was a first team all pack 12 guy in 2021. Not sure what you have there coming off the injury, but those factors I, I think can all play into where Utah's defense will stack up because I think those are probably the other teams that that you're looking at. And then you, I, I would look at Washington too, yeah. um, but really I would lean towards Washington State. Now Washington's got between those two schools the two best individual defensive players in Zion Tupuola Fatui and Braylon Trice, especially mm -hmm. Trice, who's an yeah. absolute beast. He is. But Washington's defense last year, much like Oregon's, had some good moments, had good sequences, did not put together a full season. They allowed 39 points to Arizona on their home field in Seattle. They allowed 45 points to Arizona State. Like they won games primarily with a shootout, though they did play better against Texas in the Alamo Bowl. So I think with the returning production, guys that they've brought in via the, the transfer portal to kind of bolster that defense, players returning from injury as well for Washington, that'd be a team to watch. But I don't expect them to be there. But Washington State, you lose Day and you lose Day and Henley, which which stinks because he's a great player off to the NFL. But you bring back Ron Stone Jr., who is a cornerstone defensive piece at the edge position. Phenomenal name too. I, I, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely top tier name, and. You just look at what Jake Dickert has done. He's completely yeah. shifted Washington State's identity into a defensively oriented team. And they've been good. They've been well coached. They're they're ferocious. They're tenacious. They play kind of havoc defense. They're flying around, going a million miles an hour all the time. So those are the teams that I'd say would be in contention to have the best overall defense. I think Washington State could have the best scheme defense, but I don't know if they'll have the personnel to match it, especially with the weapons and quarterbacks that you've got in the Pac-12. But I think you know Utah has to be up there with the way they can not just bring in talent now, but develop it with Kyle Whittingham, the way that they're coached, the system they run. He knows what he's doing, been doing it for almost two decades now there in Salt Lake City. So I feel like that's kind of your, your biggest competition is – I would put Oregon and Oregon State first, but then I wouldn't sleep on Washington, Washington State either. And, you know, everybody else, if you want to. Really quick, it is amazing, like, because all the teams you just mentioned, like Utah, 
Oregon, Oregon State is like the fringe contender, right? Even a Washington, I'll get a shot. USC is the one a lot of people still think, and for good reason, Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley, like they're going to be the team to beat in the Pac-12 this coming season. And that's this is the thing. They might have the defense they have to overcome once again, right? Like how much better do you think they will be in year two under Alex Grinch now that they have maybe a year more to get some of your guys in? But I usually think it takes a little bit longer than that, especially like usually your threes when we see kind of those defenses, especially when we talk about development coming into play. So where, where do you kind of expect the Trojans defense to fit in this whole thing? I mean, they could be middle of the conference, but I mean, Alex Grinch is there. I'm, I'm I'm never going to expect yeah. them to be great defensively. Mm-hmm. Like the, why wouldn't they haven't been? You're if, expecting something exactly, that's never happened then. Exactly. Insanity is doing the same thing, expecting yeah. a different <laughs> result. If you have Alex Grinch as your defensive coordinator, don't tell me you can't recruit players to Oklahoma. Oklahoma can recruit a top five, 10 level mm-hmm. in the country. You want it right re- now with the yeah, defensive, exactly. talent, defensive talent. They are. Can they recruit better players at USC overall? Yes, of course they can. Your ceiling is higher, but it's not so much of a gap where I'm thinking, well, you know, what Oklahoma was missing was the ability to recruit. Like, no, it's just not a part of Lincoln Riley coach team's cultures. It's just not. And it never has been. It doesn't need to be, by yeah. the way. His system clearly works immeasurably well yeah. because he's had he's had 10 plus win seasons every single year that he's been a head coach, which is pretty remarkable. Unbelievable. And they brought in a couple of quality transfers in um, Bear Alexander from Georgia Anthony Lucas from Texas A&M, former big-time high school recruits. Okay, that bolsters their defensive line. Great. You still have a whole other group of players that you have to coach and that you have to scheme for. And we've seen Grinch do it. So I I expect USC's defense to be better. I don't expect them to be good, but that's the thing. They don't need them to be good. No. that's, That's not something that you look at and say, wow, USC needs to have a, you know, top two or three defense in the Pac-12. If they do that, they are a lock for the college football player. Yes. Absolute. <laughs> yes, but they like, are. If you told me right now, <laughs> USC has got a top 30 defense in the country, I'm like, national championship. End of, yeah. end of, end of discussion. So I, I feel like that's where, where USC is at. A, an interesting team in here to think about is Cal. Okay. I don't know if they can have – I don't think they can – You like Cal. I don't. I, I, yeah, I, I'm. I am a de facto Cal fan. Yeah. Uh, like we don't have locked on Cal Bears, but like that's basically what I am. Yes, now, you, on yes, yeah. I'm the biggest. I'm. I've got to be the biggest Cal fan of a yeah. non-Cal specific affiliated show or writer or podcaster or whoever talking about the Bears. But Cal every year has got a solid defense. They can't bring in the sort of talent that I think like Washington State. I don't think they're going to bring in the sort of talent to where. They could be the best defense in the conference, but will they have a good one? They usually do. Like their yeah. defense was pretty bad last year by Cal standards. Colorado would have taken that defense in a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. And it's just going to be interesting to see kind of what the, what level the buffs are at this coming season with all the transfers and crazy stuff going on with Dion. But Spencer, before we get out of here, I am curious to ask you, what is your biggest question when it does come to this Utah defense? You kind of laid out your questions for all the other teams, but I am curious, what's your biggest question with this Utah defense? Right, I think it's how you replace Clark Phillips because yes. a guy like that can just take away a top target, a side of the field, big on third down, you know, if, if you're a quarterback sitting back there in the pocket and you are reading the defense saying, I want to go here with the ball, but you look over and you see number one covering whoever, whichever receiver is out there and you have to look elsewhere, that, that completely changes the psyche and just overall effectiveness of your ability 
to distribute the ball in in that situation. So I, I think replacing a guy as dominant as that is, is a really, really hard thing to do. And it changes also how you call a defense. Because if you have a guy like that, you know, I can put Clark on an island. Yeah, no, I, 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 I can I can sit him out there. That's fine. Right. You can you can always do that. And it gives you a lot of advantages. I can shift, you know, coverage over to to the other side to help because I can put Clark one on one. And the worst thing that's going to happen is a guy makes a contested catch and then is tackled immediately. Right. Because I know Clark isn't going to go over there and get burned for a 35, 40 yard game. That's a really big help to a defensive coordinator. And I, I think Coach Scally and Coach Witt have got, you know, some, some real figuring out to do on that front with, with regards to how do we call a defense without a guy like that? Or do we have a guy that we feel is 70 to 80% the player that Clark was? So sometimes we feel confident in his ability to do that. I think that's the number one question for, for the Utah defense because front seven, look, as, as a relative outsider to Utah, I feel confident in their ability to be physical, to be yeah. tough. And, and and to just be really solid, especially against the run. So I, I, I'd say that's kind of the biggest out, outstanding question for the Utes right now, defensively. I agree. I think when you look at losing a guy like Clark Phillips, it has to be the question. I do think the team has taken the steps to try and answer that. You had a guy in Miles Battle with a lot of SEC playing experience, so he's going to come in. But I don't think they expect Miles Battle to be their Clark replacement. I think if you had, and I like that you what you mentioned, not a direct replacement, but that 70 to 80%, I think that is what they believe is Amaya Vaughn, who was on this team last year, actually led the team in passes deflected overall just because Clark wasn't targeted as much. And that's what we saw Clark do back in 2021 was lead the team in pass deflected before he had an outstanding season his third season with the team where he had six interceptions overall I don't think Vaughn will have that level but I do think he can be a quality number one corner on the outside you get JT Broughton back too so between Vaughn Broughton your one and your two and three corners from last year try to replace them with Phillips you get battling a couple of young recruits as well that's where it's going to be very interesting to see I do feel good about Utah's ability to replace Clark in a sense of like will they be okay there but it's definitely something that's going to be fun and interesting to watch and uh, just to put a bow on this defensive discussion in general when you're looking at last year's statistics kind of those teams you mentioned those top those five teams you were really looking at and even Cal was six in this stat category when you're looking at points allowed per game Oregon State only allowed 20 Utah 21.4 Washington State 22.9 Washington 25.8 and then Oregon 27.4 overall and then in terms of yards allowed Utah was first at 22 at 222 Oregon State was second in 224 so it's going to be a lot of fun to see how that translates a lot of those teams that we mentioned there do return a lot of guys and are looking to add some of those new pieces too so it's going to be fun to see how it all plays out once we get to Pac-12 play getting underway in September less Spencer, than 100 days yes. JT yes less, we are <laughs> less than 100 days we're just we're just counting it down I'm trying to get like into that full summer vibe, you know, time flies and you're having fun. I'm trying to have as much fun as possible so that I can just like blur through it all, wake up one day and be like, all right, we got football on the TV, baby. It's going to be a lot of fun, even when it starts with uh, Colorado plays the same night that Utah does. And Utah plays Florida on the 31st. Doesn't Colorado play that night too? I or Are they the Saturday before? They I might be think the they're, before. well, let's double check. This shouldn't be that hard to yeah. figure out. September 2nd is when uh, Colorado plays at TCU. Yes. When they Don't they play Nebraska? Uh, yeah, they play Nebraska at home on the ninth. Oh, September. Okay, so I'm I was on. Yeah, so they're they're playing. Oh, on you Saturday. know who plays early is I think USC plays week zero against San Jose, right? You might be right about that. Let's see. Trying to solve. Yep. My yep. August twenty sixth against San Jose State. <laughs> Good deal. There. There we go. But Spencer, appreciate you joining us as always. Yeah. Anytime, JT. Thanks for having me on.
That's going to do it for today's edition of Locked On Eats, but we'll be back on tomorrow's show discussing recruiting. We'll see you then.